I'm sure we will find some funny bullshit to talk about that we can pull one minute out of. Oh, for a cold open? The cold, oh, the cold open. Because it's cold outside. I know that you're freezing in your basement there, but uh, Ken's in, you're in Madison, right? Yes. That's uh, that's where they've been talking about the minus 45 degree wind chill and shit. Oh, yeah, it's horrible. I feel like the number doesn't quite capture it. It's sort of like, what was it Stalin said? Uh, you know, a million deaths is a statistic. <laughs> right. One death is a tragedy. So I'm going to tell you guys it in an uh, anecdote. Um, instead of saying it's negative 50, it's I take my dog out and she takes a dump in like 30 <laughs> seconds and then we go back in. That's how cold it is. Does it freeze immediately? Does it come out like a little uh, like a little turd popsicle? <laughs> it's like a Dairy Queen. It's like a sauce. <laughs> you know, I feel like I must be the only person that hasn't uh, tweeted a video of myself throwing like coffee in the air and seeing it. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Everybody's getting their chance to do that one uh, that one viral thing where you boil the water and throw it out off your balcony and it turns into snow immediately. Right. When there's a time capsule and people are looking back like, oh, what did they do before, you know, everyone went extinct? Uh, they must have been really worried about climate change. Everyone's just like outside throwing like uh, their hot tea in the air. That's where we're at. Well, what about that? I mean, uh, it, apparently nobody's going to go extinct because uh, as as Jacob Wall pointed out, you know, Obama didn't do anything to lower the temperature, but uh, Trump is achieving record low temperatures. Yeah, it's awesome because it's like literally the Arctic is melting and that the air from that is why we're, we're like we're feeling Arctic air basically getting pushed down in here. So it's like a perfect right. illustration of climate change and everyone is looking at it and like, oh, I guess we're good now. So it's like, yeah, totally normal, minus 50. (laughs) Somebody took a picture of uh, somebody's toilet tank exploded uh, because the the water inside it all frozen. So it just like, you know, exploded and cracked all of the ceramic off of it. It's like, yeah, we, we could be using some of that. Some of that global warming right now. It's like, okay, the person who took this picture, if they were elderly, they would be dead now. So, right. Uh, yeah. I love the boomers that like half of them live in Florida and their li- place they live is not going to exist anymore. The ones that don't believe in climate. It's like, <laughs> right. Well, they just elected those Republicans. It's like, dude, that state is probably the hardest hit out of anyone in the country. I, I don't understand. They'll take the money and the Democrats will give it to them. They know how the game is played. Right. They don't, they don't <laughs> have any worries about that. And, you know, now you have to pay for it. And they're like, well, we don't have 11 billion dollars. <laughs> it's like, uh oh. <laughs> right. We didn't think this one yeah. through. Yeah. I feel like the climate stuff is like the best rebuttal i can think of of kind of like the accelerationist point of view because everything is getting re like you know irrevocably bad and it doesn't seem to be spurring anyone to any kind of spontaneous action right well, at the end of the day people have to decide to you know get organized and do something yeah i mean i remember back in the 90s when you know conservatives would say like well look if extreme weather events in the future you know make it so that climate change you know is a irrefutable fact you know, then will be spurred to action, you know, by uh, necessity. And the market will kick in and all this great stuff. Yeah, right. Well, when will that happen? Like, is it when it's minus 50? Is it when it's 150? Is it when everything burns down or when everything floods? Like, it seems like all that stuff has pretty much happened. And yet still people are like, well, you know, what could, what could we even do, even if we wanted to do something? I mean, why, why even try? Right. The big companies aren't working on that either. I mean, there was that article that came out recently that was uh, Google saying, like, there are going to be more people using Google Maps to figure out, like, where they can build a house that's not going to be underwater in three years or something. You know, Coca-Cola <laughs> going like, I, I think the price of Coke is going to go up because uh, nobody's going to have drinking water. It'll be the only non-contaminated beverage available. It's the perfect business. This opportunity. <laughs>
I'm keeping toasty warm down here, but as our listeners on Liquid Flannel know, that's not the case for everybody in the Midwest. Hi, from Arlington, Texas, I am Matthew Hodges, with my constant companion and co-host in a much chillier Omaha, Nebraska, Brendan Williams. Brendan, you keeping warm up there? I'm in my bunker. I'm staying safe from frost quakes. They won't get me underground. <laughs> oh, wait. I didn't. <laughs> wait, snow, snow worms. This is a this is becoming a D and D campaign. Yeah, it's like reverse Dune. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Hot. That other voice that you hear on the line, a special guest, and in an even colder place, coming at us from Madison, Wisconsin, special investigative reporter for the Young Turks, Ken Klippenstein. Ken, thank you for being on Liquid Flannel with us. Hey, fellas, thanks for having me. How are you doing up there? Uh, understand that it's incredibly fucking cold. How are the needy doing in Madison, Wisconsin during this uh, polar vortex? Have you ever read Into the, or what is it called? At the Mountains of Madness by uh, Lovecraft? That's kind of how it is here. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say uh, Into the Wild. Isn't that that one about the, oh, the Alaska? jackass rich kid who goes up to Alaska and then dies uh, from exposure? Do you guys have the... Uh, the ambulatory fungi. Yeah, I'm just waiting for the squid to come out and then hopefully save. I, at this point, <laughs> and this is literally true, when I've had a few drinks, I'm thinking, you know, if we had some of the elder gods or whatever it's called, it might not be so bad because they might do something about the climate. <laughs> they might have some kind of thing they could do with the carbon that we're, you know, these states are not right. going to do. So if I had to pick, I'd probably just take my chances with that than the oil companies. They're just like summoning a, a volcano right. from the depths and you're like, well, actually, like, it's not bad. Um, it's bad, but it's less <laughs> bad than what we have. It's a treat to finally get Ken on the program. We've been talking about it for a little while and I think we would be remiss. Yeah, it's too bad there's no news happening or else we could talk about it. I know that Ken covers a lot of uh, national news, but I do think we would be remiss to have such a paragon of Midwestern news reporting on the show and not talk about some stuff that has to do with the Midwest. That is actually, that's our wheelhouse. Uh, and I wanted to kick us off with this tweet that I saw from uh, Amy Klobuchar today. The American workforce is changing and there isn't one path to success. I've introduced bipartisan legislation with Senator Sass to allow people to use tax-advantaged savings accounts to pay for educational expenses like skills training, apprenticeships, and professional development. I don't know about you guys, but that is exactly the kind of populist message that I think is really going to carry the Democrats forward in 2020. Yeah, when Ben Sass is there, that's when you know it's going to be <laughs> right. <laughs> <good>. <laughs> It's almost as exciting as the uh, brain power is a new currency of success. Oh, God, yeah. That was uh, Julian Castro. <laughs> Beautiful. Julian Castro. So I don't know where they get these things from, but it's like they're all reading from the same book or something. Ben Sass is going to save the economy with people going to night school to learn how to do corn detasseling or something. Like, I don't know what he thinks <laughs> the, the outcome is here. Although, I guess it's probably a great way for like for profit colleges to get some of that sweet federal money right <laughs> that's right. that's the real goal and it's going swimmingly so far so you know why not just keep that train rolling yeah klobuchar is kind of interesting to me why is she regarded as like a contender seems sort of to me kind of marginal and uh, the talk among you know i talked to a lot of hill folks and uh they say she's like pretty widely despised among uh aides that go to nobody wants to work for her apparently she's very difficult to work for so internally she seems pretty disliked and then also 
I just don't see her having the same sort of like uh, electricity as as a lot of the other, you know, quite aside from the platform, which is uh, sort of unremarkable, I think. It's it's weird to me that she's considered like, she's kind of spoken about the same sentences as like Harris or, you know, whoever else. Yeah, not not even the same level of name recognition as your your Beto's O'Rourke, for instance. Your Pete right. Buttigieg's. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would encourage everyone, you guys have to see her interview on Colbert. Oh, that that's what she like announced, right? She tried to have this kind of like winsome... Midwestern. I hate that shit when they try to do the, oh, I'm just a Midwestern rube and you guys are going to love me. Oh, sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she yeah. was doing that she, whole thing. Did she wear suspenders? Did she actually like snap yeah. her suspenders yeah. and be like, I may not be some big uh, coastal politician. A like thing of wheat like between her teeth. This was even worse. Okay, get this. So she's describing her first time <laughs> going to the congressional cafeteria and uh, she said that it was this really weird, convoluted, long-winded story. I, everyone should listen to it. It's really funny. And I feel like it embodies like her like how, how poor of a speaker she is generally. Here, we'll play a clip of it right right now. You obviously don't know, but there's a good chance that 26 women will end up in the Senate mm-hmm. um, after Election Day. What is your first day advice to these people coming in? Well, I think it would be to be careful what you eat. What, why do well, you need to be careful Well, because my first day in the Senate, and I went and got a cup of soup and a salad, and I'm ready to dive in, spoon midair, and the only other woman at the table, Senator Patty Murray of Washington State, runs around, grabs my arm, and she says, Amy, you just took the entire bowl of Thousand Island dressing, and you're about to eat it. (laughs) And I said, I said to her, that's what we do in Minnesota. We eat the Thousand Island dressing. (laughs) So, yeah, that. And I would say... And so she's talking about how, she's like, and I thought it was soup. (laughs) And then I sat down, and someone else told me, no, don't eat it. That's salad dressing. And I was just like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) It sounded kind of like a John Kasich story, like very disjointed and like weird. <laughs> I think this is their idea of being like some kind of middle of the country. I'm a simpleton. Like, right. I think I think she did also say like, you know, they were like, why are you running for president? She's like, well, I'm a mom. And it's like, OK, <laughs> like, like, well, that's not bad. But like, you know, I don't know that that's a good answer to like that question. It's like, like my cells divide. Yeah, that's the kind of thing where they think like, that's all I need to say. Right. I don't need to stake out a position. I just need to say like, you know, I'm not Donald Trump. I don't know if you noticed. Right. So. Right. Huh? Yeah, was she a prosecutor too? It's interesting to see them trying to triangulate because they're like, I'm going to prosecute President Cheeto and we're going to throw him in jail or something. But then there's also after BLM, they can't, There's it's like limited like what they can say in terms of like how draconian they can be. I feel like that kind of changed the dialogue <laughs> around being uh, in law enforcement generally. People are absolutely turned on to exactly what like tough on crime means. Uh, all of us have heard the phrase super predators. Uh, more since right. like 2015 than we did even when that was the big political talking point. Uh, but right. everybody knows right. what that means at this point. Yeah, it's interesting. The Dems have these that love running prosecutors and then they love running like former Marines. And like, I feel like a lot of that stuff is kind of less popular now. Well, maybe I'm wrong. I guess, you know, Harris was, you know, from that world. So the main Democratic establishment always thinks that they can play to the center. Yeah, it's weird because it's like not actually. A lot of those things aren't actually that popular, but it's a party we got. Ken, you're you're a political analyst. I mean, is there such a thing as this moderate center? Uh, we hear it a lot from the Democratic establishment that, you know, for every voter we lose, we're going to pick up two potential Republican voters in the Philadelphia suburbs or something. Um, it imploded spectacularly in 2016. And yet, like, does this center actually exist or is this just like the pundit class kind of chasing 
where the money is. Yeah, they're operating at a um, handicap here, um, you know, those types of Democrats, which is that they can't, you know, make a pitch to rank and file workers um, because they're going to want stuff. You know, they're like, why can't I afford my copays? Why can't I send my kid to college? So they've (laughs) got a major handicap, which is that they can only pitch to these kind of upper middle class and those are who the centrists are. It's not hard to imagine who would be sort of okay with both sides. It's someone who's going to be basically okay with the society, I think. And that's going to be relatively affluent people for whom, you know, it's kind of working. So um, I think it makes sense if I was, if I just wanted to only have a certain right. class of people participate, which I think it's very clear that a certain segment of the Democratic Party, a large segment of the Democratic Party would prefer, because um, then they're not going to get scrutinized, you know, from the sources of money that, that they rely on. That's probably how I'd run the campaign, too. You don't want to get... You don't want to get workers involved. They're going to start asking for things. That helps to illustrate, you know, exactly why they're so antagonistic toward uh, people like AOC or even Liz Warren who want to, say, lower the threshold on uh, the estate tax or uh, raise the marginal rates against uh, the ultra rich. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. But people forget that Trump already basically ran his campaign that way, but he ran a centrist campaign in that he was going for all the voters that hate both sides, right? Like, that's a bigger constituency than people who are like, oh, I don't know, I just, you know, am I a Democrat? Am I a Republican? You know, I just, I like them both. Like, that's that's not a real person, right? That's the person that Howard Schultz apparently thinks is going to vote for him. (laughs) But that person doesn't exist. But there's plenty of people on that Trump side who say, I hate both sides. They're both idiots. And I want somebody who can call them both out. But the Democrats seem scared to, to death of, of that idea because, you know, they want someone who feels safe, who feels like they can be that calming voice. Yeah, like someone like Amy Klobuchar, you know, I'm sure she's quite competent, you know, especially compared to Trump. I mean, basically anyone is. But is it the time for like a safe, competent candidate that was basically what the Hillary Clinton model was, and that did not go well. So I don't know why they're not – they're refusing to learn this lesson. And you end up seeing this really interesting, uh, like, red-blue alliance, like the centrist Dems united with uh, – there was this other tweet from Scott Walker, who I know Ken has some experience with. This tweet from him that said, you know, Elizabeth Warren's wealth tax is like telling a straight-A student in high school – that she has to give up some of her grades to the other students. Instead of stealing from her, why don't we just help everyone else do better? Their go-to metaphor is literally designed for, like, school children. Like, they are so <laughs> right. condescending always. And it's weird to me that their constituents don't feel offended by that. Well, it's also absolutely fucking wrong. Oh, yeah, but that's besides the point. His analogy doesn't work because that's like saying that somebody's a valedictorian in their high school because they inherited a bunch of A's from their parents. Right. Uh, and they also own all of the textbooks. It's, it's garbage anyways because right. he's uh, just throwing money at Foxconn. And we see what happened with that. The right. subsidy for it, I think it was like $200,000 in taxpayer subsidies per job. <laughs> oh, my and God. And if you look at what it produced, it's almost nil, I think. Well, yeah, they did, they just said – Today, like, oh, you know what? Maybe we might not even open up that factory ever. Or if we do, it'll just be like 2,000 robots and like 20 guys or whatever. Like, just making sure the robots get dusted. Right. This is the model now for the economy is uh, just put the different states in a cage match against each other to compete for the 
favor of some billionaire. You saw New York with Amazon. You're seeing with a lot of big companies. This is their model for how they're going to bring jobs back. And it's just, it's not going to work. You know, you've got people who are not only willing to pit the states against each other, but also the United States against every other country. You can't raise the taxes on billionaires. You can't raise the taxes or demand like a higher minimum wage because those jobs are going to go someplace else. If Amazon can't open in Missouri and pay people uh, $6 plus like a bottle to piss in, um, they're going to go to like Florida. But if they can't go to Florida, they're going to go to like Honduras or something. And you've got a bunch of people on the other side of the capitalist socialist divide going like, okay, none of that's okay. Uh, What we need is we need to be able to guarantee a living wage for people across the board. And why are we letting like billionaires and multinational corporations determine the scope of what's possible? Yeah, I always say this is your this is your it's like the old ad like this is your brain on drugs. This is your country on no labor unions. Yeah, there's no countervailing force to the Democratic Party has not been a labor party for decades. And, you know, we can uh, get mad at the politicians and it's fun to do that. I mean, they're they suck. But um, at the end of the day, change isn't going to come from the you know party managers sort of having a um, Damascus moment, it's going to have to be workers creating labor unions and creating an economic basis for a labor component to the to the Democratic Party. Well, before we take our first break, what was your thought on the the coverage of the end of the government shutdown, right? Because there, there are kind of two camps here. One is it was Nancy Pelosi and the party establishment like standing firm against the wall funding. And then there was the countervailing narrative, which was that as soon as workers at LaGuardia decided like, you know what, we're not putting up with this anymore, all of a sudden you saw movement. What's your take on to what extent was the Democratic establishment versus labor power responsible for the end of the government shutdown? I've been critical of Pelosi, but she she's pretty intelligent with respect to player cards. That being said, um, I think it was pretty clearly the labor component. And that's never going to get credit. I mean, they don't want people to know that you can get things to go your way by, you know, organizing and striking. Um, so, of course, they're just going to be throwing roses, literally, I guess, at her feet. <laughs> if you guys remember that story about the yeah. singer roses. I was just <laughs> oh thinking of a random yeah, metaphor, uh, and then I remembered, oh, that literally happened. Yeah, the daily cost guy. But like eighty four thousand yeah, dollars worth very, of roses very delivered futile. to Nancy Pelosi. I just picture her coming yeah. in on a horse, and it's like they have the it's like the Christ is coming <laughs> in with the pawns, and very weird. Anyways, so yeah, it's clearly. I mean, the commerce comes to a halt if planes can't go around. That's the entire business class, and you know, if workers just realize the there are probably many other ways that they have these guys by the balls if they'd only. You know, I I, I spoke to a lot of FAA. Um, workers I had several sources sort of sending me emails and things that were coming out. All of them that I spoke to, they wanted to strike. And they said almost everyone they knew, including Republicans, incidentally, they wanted to strike too. But they all remembered at the front of their minds, I didn't know this, Reagan fired like over 10,000 people. I think he fired like 20,000 strikers. Totally illegal, oh, yeah. by the way. But and this is something that the US is like off the international spectrum on. In you know virtually any other developed country, I don't think people would tolerate that. But that he just was like, no, fuck you, you're out. And you just fired a bunch of people, so everyone's scared of that. I think people are still have sort of PTSD from all the labor crackdowns, and it makes these kind of things difficult. And my understanding, I'm not an expert on this, my understanding is that they tried to design laws to make it so that they could punish you in, uh, I think it was criminal court for leaving, because the idea was that you're endangering air traffic if you're 
if you're not doing your job or something. So there's been <laughs> right. So there's been all these crazy. I don't think people realize how much power has been clawed back from what labor had had. I mean, they tried to, but it's still there, right? They just say, well, you can't use it. Like, like you still have the power, but like, it's illegal to use it. And where it's like, it's illegal to make me work without getting paid too, but you're doing it. So the origins of the labor movement that, you know, led to a lot of the policy stuff that, that gives us a, you know, social safety net that started out with illegal wildcat strikes too. So, so yeah, you're right. I think we have a lot more to pick Ken's brain about. We're going to take a short break there and come back and talk about some more of the things that you've been seeing uh, in the news and uh, how that all relates to labor power. Labor delegates representing 16 million workers gather in New York for the history-making merger of the American Federation of Labor and the Congress of Industrial Organizations. The merger is the culmination of 20 years of effort. Symbolically, Walter Ruther, CIO President, and George Meany, AFL President, declare the meeting open jointly to thunderous applause. The meeting, however, reaches its climax with the nomination of officers for the new AFL CIO organization, largest in the world. Walter Ruther nominates George Meany as president and is himself named one of the 37 vice presidents. From his Gettysburg office, President Eisenhower is among the first to congratulate the new labor body and to call its attention to the grave responsibilities it faces on the national scene. <laughs> Your countdowns are the worst. <laughs> We're ready to go in three, two, one <laughs> and then you never say you know, go. No, never. you know what that is? That's like your mom when she's oh, like, I'm gonna count to three. And it's like two and a half, two and three quarters, <laughs> two and eight tenths. It's exactly that. It's time just like stops. Right, and go. <laughs> all right, all right. Thanks, everybody. So yeah, all kinds of fun stuff uh, is happening in Washington. You know, the the Republicans, people say they're not the party of ideas, but man, they have some they have some incredible ideas. Like that voting is a power grab by the Democrats. I love how the explicit thing now is like voting is like cheating. You're like cheating if you <laughs> if you get people to turn out and like support your, you know, candidate or policies or whatever. It's like right, it's so below we, the let's keep it above the belt, folks. You know, yeah, do, you do post you can post all you want, but don't vote. <laughs> this is we're talking about House Resolution One, right? That's that's what they're calling it. Uh, and it's a Numero uno. big uh, big package of voter rights things. It includes, for instance, making uh, voting days national federal holidays so people would have uh, the day off work. Um, includes a third-party oversight commission on gerrymandering um, that would be, in theory at least, nonpartisan uh, to make sure that people's votes are represented. Um, I, I think included in there also is uh, automatic voter registration. So like when you go to the DMV, you're just registered to vote. You don't have to go through extra hoops. Uh, and our uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says that uh, this is actually just a naked power grab by the Democrats. Yeah, it's clear. This is why I've always been critical of people that are like, oh, demographics are going to save us. You know, we have all these, uh, you know, Latinos, minorities and everything. And the Republican Party is just going to go extinct. It's like, you fucking idiot. Like, they're going to be playing all these games. It'll be like South Africa where they try to just disenfranchise everyone and make it so that sure. the 
5% of white people are the ones that can vote. And that's exactly what they're trying to do. And they're not even yep. hiding it. They don't even try to hide it. This is what it is, you know? Oh, I mean, they, they want to make it so that you have to have, like, an ID to vote so that, like, dudes in MAGA hats can just, like, beat you up and steal your wallet the day before the election and then you can't vote. <laughs> I'm wait, you know what I'm waiting for? I, that's their beautiful I scenario. I can't wait for, um, like, pro- like property to become a, like, basis for, for enfranchisement. That's going to be good. And I, gu- oh, I guarantee well, you they're going to do- they're gonna propose something like that in, like, the next two years or something. <laughs> We're a couple, uh, yeah, a couple election cycles away from being like, you know what, I think maybe only landowners right. should vote, you know, because, uh, you know, when you look at all those red states, there's a lot of land <laughs> and all these blue states have a lot of people so what really should vote more, people or land? I mean, when you really think about Ken, it. Ken, I'm so glad that on. you brought that up, though, because uh, there is a, uh, an Iowa lawmaker right now who's arguing that um, uh, reenfranchising felons in Iowa needs to be tied to their ability to pay all of their uh, like back court fees and nice. like probation fees and stuff like that. Um, essentially reintroducing a and like five hundred dollars a night for living in jail yeah. i mean come on like it's like it's the ritz carlton 100 percent. you know you yeah. gotta pay that back yeah so essentially reintroducing the poll tax for i mean that's that's not going to affect like i don't know if steve king's son ever gets like picked up on a dui or something they're fine you know he'll he'll be able to pay those fees uh the people picked up for a gram of weed or something because they were black uh, maybe not so much. So maybe you are still disenfranchised from voting. Yeah, it's weird. It's like clearly, it's very clear that the state cares about certain kinds of crimes and not others. So, for example, look at the Mueller investigation. They spent two seconds looking. I prefer into, not to. <laughs> I'll look into the interesting part of it. They spent two okay. seconds looking into Paul Manafort and see that he has all of this money laundering. And do you know how common that must be? Like Go- going all back like forty years. Yeah. There's right? no way like, he's they're like, oh, we looked at it for 20 minutes, and it's like, oh, he's been doing crime for yeah. 40 years, and we never paid. Yeah, attention. they don't give a shit. Oops. There's no white collar crime <laughs> is like not really investigated very much, and that's another thing you don't see much discussion of it. They're always like, how are we going to pay for it? It's like, well, what if we made rich people like pay taxes, and we actually looked at how much they're paying? I bet you'd find a hell of a lot of money there. Right, like they want to underfund the IRS, which is like the only government agency right. that basically funds itself because every like dollar you spend on like someone doing audits, you get like $10 back <laughs> in people scamming taxes. Right. But they're like, well, maybe they'll investigate a, like a Republican millionaire and, you know, nobody wants that, right? Uh, you know, who wants the millionaires to be investigated? No, there's no constituency to support that uh, in, the do- in the donor class. So let's just move on. But yeah, it, it's amazing how how willing they are to just blatantly come out with these, you know, positions where it it seems so much common sense to just say, yeah, you know what? Like it should be easier to vote. Like, isn't it, isn't that better? Isn't our country better served when more people are able to have a say? And you would think like they used to pretend that they were, that they supported that idea, that they would say, oh, of course, you know, everybody, we love voting. And now they're like, you know what? It's not all that. Uh, and they're just coming out straight and saying it. It's, it's pretty stunning. Yeah, sure. I mean, you had you had Chris Kobach, who was heading up that uh, the the voter fraud commission, right? 
and at least they had the veneer of saying that what we're trying to reduce is, you know, fraudulent voting. Not that anybody could find any actual evidence of fraudulent voting, but like, what's it like at your polling places? So I, I'm in Texas, but what's it like in uh, what's it like in Madison, Ken? Well, I live like a block from the Capitol building, like the rotunda where the governor, uh, you know, comes in. But um, and so you would think it would be good, but yeah, the lines are often. I would say maybe like 10 minutes long, which isn't terrible, but like for okay. the capital, like where all the reporters are, I would think that, you know, you'd probably be able to get in immediately. So well, it's it, an it, issue, it but not- indicates that maybe in like more rural areas or possibly uh, like less affluent neighborhoods, it's probably worse than that even. Right. What about you, Brendan? Well, I live in a rich white suburb that was redistricted to be even more Republican uh, so there's never a line. It's, <laughs> right. uh, I literally live like, you know, I could walk to the county election office. Uh, but the nice thing about Nebraska is that they do actually have like a really, um, surprisingly, uh, lenient, like early voting. They have like, you know, no excuse absentee voting, vote by mail. You know, they, they actually do make it fairly easy for you, you know, to vote early, but wouldn't it be better if we just had election day off as a holiday yeah. like it it seems like that would be just such a better process for everybody yeah. and uh by by comparison you could have like a sweet party too by comparison uh i live in arlington texas which is a uh, it's a minority majority district and uh our poll lines were i i think we stood there for maybe an hour or so uh for the midterms uh, no real poll workers that I could see, although I did get yelled at at one point because people were coming in with no guidance as to which line they needed to stand in in this incredibly packed foyer of a church. Uh, and so I was trying to sort them out and somebody said, like, you're doing it wrong. Like, how do you know that I'm doing it wrong? Well, we work at the polls. It's like, oh, do you um do work then? <laughs> like make something happen. I love the was there. There's a line to vote, and then there's a line to get the tickets to vote. Yeah, is that how? It yeah, works? yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a line to there was a line to write a check um, to to make sure that you could vote. Yeah, but yeah, Glenn, again, what we said about uh, uh, yeah, the, the 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 fact that individual voter fraud. Oh yeah, that's like, so much of a concern. It's like you had to have never met an American to think they're going to risk a felony for voting. Like, dude, Americans are basically a political. They don't give a shit. They're not going to, you know what I mean? Like, and then also for the illegals or so-called illegals, it's like we can't even get Americans to vote and we're worrying about the undocumented people that are flooding them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> in order to like sway an election, you would literally have to be like you know, bussing in like thousands of, <laughs> you know, people to illegally vote like en masse in order to sway any election. If, if um, there's one thing I know. It would be very noticeable. Like, right. <laughs> if there's one thing I know about undocumented immigrants is they love to put themselves in the crosshairs of like national political attention. Yeah, uh, dude, that's Law enforcement. Funny. They love to like make a big stink. So that they can have their one vote <laughs> for go for someone who's gonna to a Democratic candidate who's not gonna for do someone anything. who won't pass the Dream Act anyways. That's their <laughs> right, whole thing. exactly. <laughs> they're they're so lo- they're such loyal, you know, illegal voters. Uh, you know, you you have to just you know you have to finally give the them left for, the left for their persistence. The left should do their own like um, 
scare tactics thing where it's like they're bussing in the and it'll be like from like um retirement homes they're bussing in the elderly and like Boca Raton it's happening <laughs> and they, kind of they came they came directly from a showing of God's Not Dead Part 4 <laughs> <laughs> which is which is hilarious I mean there's they do that shit right like people go to old folks home and they're like, hey, we're just here wearing our MAGA hats. You know, hey, you want to come vote? Let's let's go. You know, and and that shit's cool, right? Like, because they're they're real Americans, you know. But uh, you know, if if God forbid, you know, any any brown people try to vote too hard or just say like, you know, I'd like to vote, but uh, I can't get off. Like, I'm doing a double shift, you know, at down at the restaurant, so. I don't really have time. You know, everyone's taking the day off work early and then, you know, going to the Mexican restaurant later and I don't have time to vote. Uh, it's a fucking mess. Yeah. So, so is there any point to be made about this, uh, this HR one and the, the Republican opposition to it other than they really just don't want people to vote. They know that they'll lose if more people vote. Is there anything beyond that? I mean, I think, you know, they, I think the Democrats know that, if they pass this in the house which they probably will uh there's it's not going to go anywhere like trump's certainly not going to sign it it's not going to go anywhere in the senate but if it gets mitch mcconnell to like do an incredible self-own where he gives an impassioned anti-voting speech i think it's done it's It's literally the only good thing the democrats have done in like 10 years it's just they've constructed an albatross and now they get to hang it around the republicans necks yeah, I'm not convinced the Democrats want voting uh, either. Certainly they want more <laughs> than the Republicans do. But the problem with like making voting easier for people is like once you get like working and poor people, make it easier for them to vote. That is going to hurt like anyone that's like pro wealth. Uh, and that's, you know, a hell of a lot of um, both of the parties. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy for them to, to do that to themselves. So, um, yeah, you know, keep calling your congresspeople and telling them how much you love voting so that they keep supporting the shit that will allow us to vote out, you know, the assholes. Yeah, the, the, trap, the trap, though, is uh, this whole, uh, like, Strasserite turn that uh, some some commentators on the, on the right have been taking. Um, I've talked about it before on the show, but, you know, Tucker Carlson saying like maybe it's not good that billionaires are in charge of uh, in charge of everything. Yeah, um, that's really scary to me because as long as the Republicans are off on their like deficit reduction stuff that literally nobody gives a shit about, um, you know that's gonna that's gonna sort of undercut their popularity. But once they start talking about like na- stuff that is redolent of national socialism, like actually. Um, like, like take say France and you have, um, Le Pen. I think if, if I remember right, she, she, she had a platform of increasing like, um, their version of social security payments and retirement. Yeah, things. right. That's scary. Cause that's actually popular, you know? And if you can cast that in a, you know, right wing nationalist, uh, thing, I think that could really, we have historical precedent for it. It's not pretty. Uh, hopefully the, you know, Heritage Foundation and Paul Ryan's of the party are, you know, so dominant that the Republicans will never figure that out. But if we if they do, I think we're in serious trouble. Yeah. My biggest fear used to be that the radical hardcore Christians would actually wake up one day and realize that they are almost identical to like radical Islamic terrorists and then make like an, an old holy alliance. Well, did you see what <laughs> where they were like, "Oh, we love uh, religious oligarchies." Fucking Charlie like, you, Kirk, oh, you guys do too. Char- Charlie Kirk went off on Twitter the oh, other Cernovich. day. Oh, uh, Cernovich. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Oh, oh, Cernovich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. 
No, not Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk is, is never going to do that. Uh, he, he gets way too much billionaire money. But, yeah, Mike Mike Cernovich all of a sudden, like, launching into defensive Islam uh, against Christianity. Like, Christianity is the, the religion of, you know, like, 11-year-old girls dancing on a stage while, like, grown men throw money at them. Like, at least Islam has, like, an ethos. That guy, Cernovich, he's like the Dana Carvey in that movie, uh, Master of Disguise. He's like rebranding so fast and in the most <laughs> insincere ways that it's like I can't even recognize. It's like so funny. Like how many times he was a success win guy and then he sold juice and then he's alt-right and now he's like Wahhabi or whatever. I don't know what <laughs> what. Yeah, no, I, I but like, I, I wonder how long he can keep yeah, it up, he sees right? the next trend is Wahhabi. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder how long he can keep On it up, right. though, because I don't think that anybody takes him seriously now except for, like, the hard alt-right. And when he made these tweets, you had, like, all of his replies were like, nope, you've jumped the shark, dude. Like, Islam is always evil. Uh, and he he actually ended up demonstrating like exactly how shitty his fan base is, uh, the the reasons that they were objecting to the the points that he was making. Uh, but I I don't see that working out for him in the long term. Well, there won't be a long term because he's gonna pivot again and it'll be something else. Right. Uh, he, he was he's his- jumping on that uh, Howard Schultz uh, for twenty twenty. <laughs> that train. would be amazing. <laughs> like he's like a Kasich guy. Yeah, what about uh, what about Howard Schultz, um, the 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 coffee magnate? I think it's uh, it's he he belies like how undemocratic the society is. It's like the Democrats are so say the Democrats win the White House, like what are they? They're going to increase the marginal tax rate by what, like five percent? And the guy's like, I'm willing to run a campaign to make the Democrats lose because I don't want to pay. He's basically saying like, I'm going to run because I don't want to pay higher taxes, and no one see, thinks that's like illegitimate. That's like insane, you know. Yeah, he's he's 100% against uh like policy proposals that are massively popular across the electorate, not just uh with Democrats like Medicare for all is a fever dream. Like that that worked real well for Hillary Clinton in uh 2016. Uh it's fun to watch somebody in 2018 announce that same policy and think that that's going to be helpful. Yeah, it's funny. It's weird to me. I think these billionaires, they're so surrounded by uh, sycophants and um, they're just cocooned in like this sycophancy, but also um, this delusion that this God delusion, because then they do these things and everyone hates them and they're probably going to get stomped because every Democratic operative is going to want to destroy this guy. And, uh, you know, I saw today there was some reporting that people, uh, executives at Starbucks are really angry at him because they're politicizing the country and hurting hurting their sales. <laughs> and it's sort of interesting because it's like he's so delusional he doesn't see the risk that he's putting himself at. Right. Something like this. Well, what do you think, Ken? I mean, you're a you're a savvy political mind. If uh, if Howard Schultz were to offer you, say, three hundred thousand dollars a year to be a campaign yes man, would you do it? I think it'd be funny to like <laughs> tell him to be like, oh, you know what everyone loved when Jeff said, please clap. You should do that. And I feel like if you flattered him enough, he would do anything because these billionaires sure you just tell them how awesome they are. And then they're like, oh, this guy's it's like Rasputin. I would want I would try to become the Rasputin for him and say I have all these visions and I see his greatness and everything. And it's like, but you just got to pay me a little bit and you have to say these hilarious things. 
and, he's and like, I get to fuck your wife like pretty yeah, much exactly. whenever I you want. Should st- yeah. You should start tweeting him immediately a, and be a like, scene reply guy, but for him, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just be like, be like, yo, I, I'm your Twitter guy. Like, let me help you take your Twitter game to the next level. And then <laughs> like just personal see if you trainer, could, like, but for Twitter, yeah, you could like dress him up in like the Steve Buscemi fellow kids outfit. <laughs> like, I just think of what you can accomplish. Oh, uh, I hope someone does this before we take a break. Um, Ken, I, I did say on the official uh, Liquid Flannel account that we were not going to make the Krasenstein joke, but I did want to pick your brain a little bit about the Krasenstein joke. Uh, to what extent is that still funny to you, and to what extent is it just really annoying? Well, there's like a presumption in the statement, to what extent is it still funny, because it assumes it was ever funny. I always found it <laughs> extremely annoying, but I have, to, I have to go with it. Because that's everyone else seems to like it so much. Um, I think you, it got out of hand. It's probably not the best thing that I'm, you know, like a investigative reporter, and like people mistake me routinely for like the least credible people on liberal Twitter. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> I've had stories before. People were like, um, in the replies, it'll be like some, uh, you know, random maybe like a MAGA mom or something. Or, so why uh, did you uh, tweet resistance this? mom? And she'll be like, she'll be like, oh, I like this story, but aren't these guys not credible? Like I heard they weren't good. <laughs> It's like, God damn. And it makes you wonder how what? many people think that. Dude, what, there was a woman in a turtleneck with like a with like a crucifix like necklace. She looked to be, you know, in her 50s or so. Like a nice looking like resistance mom lady. And she was dunking on me for being a Krasenstein. And it's like, that's the wrong <laughs> demographic to know that. When that demographic knows that joke, it's gotten like way too far. <laughs> you know. That's incredible. Well, they have a podcast now too. You should try they to get invited as me. The, as they the they keep asking me to go. Oh, of course they did. Yeah. <laughs> I think both of them follow me, and I and I regularly am dunking on them on Twitter. Like I, I no patience for them, but they they have. I no, can't believe we podcast scooped them. The, They're going to be the so thickest pissed. skin in the world. At least you know we've got we've got Ken Klopenstein on our podcast, and at least people are going to be able to tell who is talking when different individuals are talking. <laughs> you know, I look uh, Adam Johnson's joke. He's a, And I don't actually know one from the other because they're so similar. He calls them the red one and the blue one because of the rabbies. <laughs> Wait, is that, are we, how, how sure are we that there are two of them and it's not just one guy who wanted to get twice as many Well, they are twins. So yeah, that's true. <laughs> he made him a fake account. Oh, my God. He's just green screened in the other guy. It is there. kind of hard to believe that two people collectively could be that bad <laughs> well we got to take this out on a high note we got to bring it up from this low we've <laughs> sunk into some twitter beef lows we, we got to bring it out on something all right let's take a little break there we'll, uh, we'll we'll find a we'll find a high note for you
Yeah, Ken, have you ever once done a like positive news story? Something that you felt good about? Literally never once. And I feel like <laughs> I need some credit for that, that I'm just nailing myself to the cross for you guys for your entertainment. <laughs> and all I get is Krasenstein replies and I like your I like your brothers more and that's what I so I'd like to see some respect from these ingrates. The news and Twitter are your hair shirt. I don't know what you did wrong in a previous life, but... But my next life is going to be awesome now because of all the suffering. <laughs> I had a quick one, a quick one in terms of uh, taking us out on a high note. Uh, there was some really nice footage today of... Uh, we, we've talked about her on the show before, AOC uh, interviewing somebody from the pharmaceutical industry asking about, wait, so... The NIH puts a bunch of money into pharmaceutical research. So we're like early investors, right? And he's like, yeah, that's right. And she's like, and then we don't get anything back from that? And he's like, no, that's right. Yeah, there, there's no return on investment. Asking the right questions. That's a, a hallmark of some of these new, maybe leftward-leaning politicians that we're seeing coming up in this new generation. And that's that's a high note for me. Yeah, you can see why they hate her so much. You know, I think they're fine if they have a Democratic opponent who's going to ask them, you know, sir, sir, have, have you no respect for, right, the, right, right. for the officer? I don't think they give a shit about that. They're fine with that. But if they're going to talk about, you know, where you're getting your money from and why do you love billionaires, like then that's when they get really nervous, I think, because they don't know how to respond. She's only been in office for like a month, right? So we'll see how much she can keep this up and whether she puts her foot in her mouth at some point. I think that's probably likely because politicians are people. But for right now, this is nice. I like seeing the trajectory of we've got a big pharma dude up on the hill. Yeah, my favorite thing about AOC is the left or the Democrats, at least, they finally have someone who like triggers the right wing. And I don't think they ever had that. It was, sure. that was the province of the right wing if you wanted to trigger somebody. But trigger the right wing if you mean like have policy ideas where everyone goes like, well, actually, like it makes, <laughs> actually, a, lot that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> the socialist ladies talking is a good game over here. Yeah, it's absolutely nuts <laughs> that they spent all this time trying to tack to the center to win over Trump voters. And all they needed was to just be like, tax the billionaires at 70%. And all the Trump voters would be like, yeah, but that's what I was saying the whole time. Like, why wasn't anyone else saying that right right <laughs> so yeah that is a an ever uplifting high note my high note i accidentally watched the marie kondo show on netflix oh yeah did it bring you joy brendan can someone explain to me what that is that just seems like a language virus to me it's just <laughs> everywhere i say oh, what is it i don't know what it is it's a japanese lady who teaches you how to fold your shirts she wrote a book about it no her it was a wait is it like asmr <laughs> <laughs> No, it's like, it's almost like hoarders, but it's like, it's like mild hoarders. And then she just like goes to people's house and she's like, instead of hanging up your clothes like this, fold them up. Nice. And you know, you, you, she does this thing where it's not just that she also has people confront their own, uh, like material possessions. And I, I think the, the big joke is like, does it bring you joy? Right? Like go through your closet and pull a shirt out and be like, does this bring right. you joy? If yes, keep it. If no, just get rid of it, like donate it or something like that. She's about decluttering and getting people off of this this material possession sort of thing. She seems all right. We got a more existential like interpretation from from you, and then your co-host. It was just like, oh, she folds shit. <laughs> so <laughs> well, that's that the part that I, I'm definitely focused on. A lot of times when you have your shirts and you just like fold them flat and you lay them down. 
it kind of sucks because then you're like digging through and you're like messing all the folding up and then it just becomes a ball and you're like stuffing them on top. You're stuffing shirts into a drawer. But if you fold them into these like little tiny squares and you stand them up on their edge, when you open up your drawer, you can see all the shirts. They're kind of like rolled up almost. Yeah. Take one out of its spot and then you can just put another one in there and you can always access all of them at the same time. And so my daughter, who's like five, was like, I'm going to do this. We literally took everything out of her drawers and refolded it and kind of went through it and got rid of some stuff that was too small. And I was like, we're going to have to get rid of like half of this stuff because they don't fit at all. And we folded everything and put it in back in the drawer. And there was like way more room. Like, I don't know how it happened. It was like a physics trick. <laughs> it was like a magic trick that happened because you were like, I, how these shirts won't fit in here. And then you fold them up into little squares and you can fit, like, way more shirts. It's mind-blowing. It's like origami. It's crazy. So everybody should do well, it. She seems all right. There was a funny tweet, uh, you know, a man stands on the on the plinth. Marie Kondo says, does he bring you joy? And the crowd chants, no. And she <laughs> nods her head as we put him, like, into the guillotine or whatever. <laughs> Watch so we can get a season two where it gets to that point. <laughs> I think the bigger point that people need to bring from Marie Kondo is that she's not opposed to like owning a lot of stuff. See, you were a billionaire going through your house and was like every single item. You're like, yeah, I I love the shit out of that thing. I think she'd be okay with that. It's about kind of breaking that chain of material possessions. I'm owning a thing just to own it, but it doesn't actually, it doesn't actually do anything for me. She's pretty good at threading the line from, she's not like, so hyper minimalistic that people kind of make her out to be where that type of hyper minimalism is only something that a rich person can do because they could just say, well, like, I don't need to have anything because like I can just get anything at any time that I need it. <laughs> right. Whereas a poor person is like, oh, shit, there's a two for one sale on toilet paper. Like I should buy like 10 things of fucking toilet paper. Hey, there's there's a lot to be said for having a whole bunch of stuff in your kitchen so that you know, like, I can cook any type of meal, you know? Even if I only use this pan, like, once a year, like, maybe I use it at Christmas or something. People do have a tendency, I think, and it's especially an American thing, too, where they don't even realize how much shit they have, where they're like, oh, yeah, that's, like, taking up space, and I didn't even know that was there, and I haven't used it for, like, three years, (laughs) you know? So, yeah, yeah, get rid of that shit, give it away. I saw saw a nice little thread on Twitter that was uh, kind of Marie Kondo adjacent uh, with, uh, like, best practices for giving clothes away. Uh, For one thing, you should wash everything that you ever give to a thrift store, because if it's not washed, then it just goes into like rags and they sell it for making paper or whatever. Consider not giving your stuff to a thrift store. Like just put a bag out with some labels on the street and say like, this is free. The homeless or down on their luck don't have to like walk into a Goodwill and actually spend money. They can just get a coat. This condo sounds like almost a spiritual figure. It's like the Mahdi. <laughs> she is. And people, it, it's the funniest part of the show is that. She comes, she does like some sort of like Japanese meditation thing where she's like, I need to like become one with the house before we like clean this house or whatever. And then just like some weird Americans are like, oh, okay. Uh, I guess I'll just stand over here, I guess. Uh, Do you want me to turn down the game? Yeah, 
exactly. She's like, you know, going over and like petting their floor and stuff like that. Uh, so it's it's pretty funny just to see, you know, Americans try to be so awkward. Also, she speaks a lot of times through a translator. So all of the interactions are incredibly awkward because <laughs> they clip that part out. So they just show her talking in Japanese and then they show a confused American person being like, oh, yeah, I guess that <laughs> makes sense. Uh, <laughs> so it's pretty fun. But Ken, what do you got? Do your first uplifting news report of all time right now. Make it happen. <laughs> I guess the primaries haven't technically started yet. Is that uplifting? <laughs> is that true? Is that true? Uh, I don't feel like that. It doesn't feel like that's true. Yeah. So no, I got nothing. <laughs> I'm not sure that's even uh, really that positive either. That's a like the absence of something negative. I don't know. That's, I a, that's, that's a, a philosophical question. <laughs> I have to bring Marie Kondo in to ponder on it. Tell us what, if it is happiness through folding or whatever. <laughs> does, it, does it bring you joy? Does the primary season bring you joy? I, I think everyone would kick that out of their closet. Well, yeah. And, you know, hey, another uplifting news story. It's only like two more weeks until the next government shutdown. So two weeks. That's pretty positive. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I love. Did it seem a little like dancing in the end zone to like be celebrating? It's like uh, Pelosi. So it's like, dude, this is three weeks. We could just like they could fall back again. Well, we well, did that know. whole episode uh, last week with uh, with Trillionaire all about stuff that was going on with the government shutdown. And literally the six hours after we recorded the government shutdown ended, but I didn't feel bad about releasing the episode because all of that stuff is going to be 100% applicable as soon as the government shutdown starts up again. <laughs> right. Right, right. Well, and speaking of end zones, we forgot the greatest high note of all time. It's the Super Bowl, gentlemen. Oh, yeah. Is that this weekend? That's happening. Uh, you know, uh, Trump's favorite quarterback. Oh, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, and, the Brady and the Patriots. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Very cool. Versus, Very cool. it's like the Rams. In some place in like Southern California, where it's every other, there's like 20 <laughs> football teams there now. The the Rams, I, you know, it's a tough one because I hate the Patriots because they like cheat all the time and they just win all the time and it's really annoying. And Tom Brady loves Trump and he like wears a MAGA hat all. He was the like time. the one athlete who went to visit like the last time right. that, that that they won the Super Bowl, right? But I, I also am supposed to hate the Rams because they like ran a scam on St. Louis where they made him spend like billions on some shitty stadium, and then like two years later they were like, "Ah, oh, we're gonna leave. Thanks Yeesh. though. Uh, bye." <laughs> so it's just a an uplifting time to watch some great ads for, you know, the new Avengers or something. Definitely a sport for the people. Basically, the people who are benefiting from it yeah. are the advertising billionaires and the stadium-owning yeah. billionaires. Well, and we got that super exciting uh, halftime show, which I'm sure is going to be a rollicking good time. Oh, is it like Maroon 5? Or- it's Maroon 5, baby! <laughs> oh, that's, so, that's like Trump's inauguration. Do you remember he had like... Um, what was, was, it, was it? Was it three doors down, down or whatever? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's like the relevance of like the frogs, the Budweiser right. frogs. The Super Bowl band equivalent of the Yokiro Taco Bell, like Taco Bell Chihuahua. <laughs> yeah. I hope like Beyonce shows up to guest and she just like kicks him in the face and takes over. And she's like, I can't allow America. They've been through too much. They can't adore this. What's the deal with that? Uh, why? How could they not get a better band than Maroon 5 to play Super Bowl? I didn't even know they were still playing. I don't know if you've seen The Voice. It's, it's very popular. So, you know, it's it was a brand synergy choice. You know, they decided to go a different way with 
benefit. I see. It for America, you know. Is this what we're calling a high note? Shit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, oh yeah, that'll be a fun time. Trump's going to win another Super Bowl, probably. Good, that, that's good for him. How about the te- how about the LA teacher strike? That's a positive one. Hell yeah. No more school, baby. Yeah, absolutely. School's no, canceled. That's, that's a great high note. Uh, we have covered on this show teacher strikes in Oklahoma and Arizona, um, and now L.A. Is they keep winning. That. It keeps working. Yeah, it's, yep. it's amazing. Anyone listening, you can work insanely hard and pray to God that your boss notices it and then rewards it. Or you can fucking get organized, and that seems to work every time. Well, and people are on your side, too. Like, it's not like these teachers are striking, and everyone's like, these fucking greedy-ass teachers. I can't believe them living high on the hog. They're like, no, people are like, yeah, go, go, teachers. You are right. It is fucked up out there. So, yeah. It's pretty amazing how effective it is, and I, I think people are, are noticing for sure. I don't think we can do any better for a high note. Uh, supporting striking workers all across the board. Ken Klippenstein, thank you so much for joining us, man. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Let's do it again. That's fun. Oh, it was a, it was a blast. Yeah, I, I think that you are probably our senior Wisconsin correspondent now. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> so when this thing thaws and the, the giant squid comes out, you can call me up and I'll tell you what's going on. Yeah, let us know the status of the mist that's rolling in full of demons. (laughs) Do you have any pieces of work coming up that people uh, should be aware of? Or how how can people find your work online? Oh, just go on Twitter. Or um, if you go on TYT's website, tyt.com slash investigates, uh, you'll see all my stories there. Um, I've been keeping up with the shutdown a lot and I'm, you know, not at all certain that they're going to authorize a long-term spending thing. So we could be right back. Um, where we were, depending on, on what happens. Um, so in that case, people don't have a whole lot of literacy about what the government does, but right. it provides a lot of services, especially for vulnerable people sure. that they really depend on. There's a big incentive for both sides in the shutdown fight to completely blatantly lie to the public about what they're actually doing <laughs> to, to look right. good. <laughs> right. uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful that uh, you guys can uh, track that down and, and let us know when we're being sold a bill of goods by either side in this uh, insane debacle. Assuming that uh, the shutdown is going to like fire back up, um, I've got my other podcast, The Breadline, uh, which is all about food issues. Yeah, that's that's my plug for uh, the Breadline podcast. I'm on Twitter at Matt the Great with a W and Brendan. I'm at Brendan Williams with one L on Twitter. Follow the show at Liquid underscore Flannel. She'll like a scribe. Yeah, like and subscribe. Do do all these things, gentlemen. We've accomplished another podcast. <laughs> it's done. We've done it. We wrapped it up. It is done. Yes, finally our national nightmare of not enough podcasts is over. (laughs)